maybe not all of you. Oh, time, thanks. <laughs> Actually, how long do I have to speak? Probably a good idea. Maximum of 30. Maximum of 30, okay. Right, let's see how we go. Um, I thought I'd just tell you a little bit of myself. Um, I'm uh, a pastor at the Source Church in Stirling, so um, I'm on staff there. And uh, I'm <coughs> also on RSCRC State Executive as well, and I head up the credentialing um, team of that executive, so I'm the chairperson of that. Um, and um, I have four sons, all of whom are well and truly grown up, and uh, six grandchildren, so <laughs> that's a bit about me. It's a busy life. My, my husband Hans, um, who is preaching a number of times, is retired, so he's getting around to lots of different churches. So this morning he is at um, Living Faith at uh, St Agnes, and I'm here. <laughs> so we do get around a bit, so it's lovely. Really privileged to be here with you this morning. Um, I'm going to speak this morning out of the book of James, and um, in particular verses in chapter 1 of James, 19, 20, 26 and 27, which I find are really kind of interesting verses. Let me read to you through them. Understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to hear, be a careful and thoughtful listener, slow to speak, a speaker of carefully chosen words, and slow to anger patient, reflective, forgiving. For the resentful, deep-seated anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, that standard of behaviour which he requires from us. Now, I'm reading from the Amplified, if you haven't worked it out yet. <laughs> There's lots of little extra bits in there that just bring beautiful um, explanations of some of the verses. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, scrupulously observant of the rituals of his faith, and does not control his tongue but deludes his own heart, this person's religion is worthless, futile, and barren. Pure and unblemished religion, as it is expressed in outward acts, in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit and look after the fatherless and the widows in their distress, and to keep oneself uncontaminated by the secular world. Interesting verses. But I think I've found something really special on this. So let's just go back to the beginning in the first first. Um, Half of, the, of verse 19 it says, Understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let everyone be quick to hear, be a careful, thoughtful listener, slow to speak, a speaker of carefully chosen words. You know, James is actually focusing on the fundamental way that we actually relate to one another in these verses. We speak. Carefully speaking and listening are critical to developing good, healthy relationships. Excuse me, mm. well, what's the problem? Loud enough, so you are a little closer. A little closer, okay. Okay. Okay, so in today's world, if you don't often see people actually conversing with one another, you, what you find is that, you know, if you go into a cafe or something like that, everybody is looking at their phone. You don't see a lot of interaction. Um, and you know, we, when we're in our homes, the TV's on, um, the iPad's got our attention, or phone calls interrupt. And there's so many distractions that we actually find listening actually quite a hard thing to do. And being a thoughtful, careful listener is something that's even more difficult. 
We're just losing that skill of being that type of person. So you know, this encouragement from James is for us to get back to doing that. Get back to listening carefully to one another. To be quick to hear, not quick to speak. Slow to speak. And be a speaker of carefully chosen words. I mean, that's even more difficult. And the next verse, it says, goes on and just expands on this a little bit more. Slow to anger, patient, reflective and forgiving. For the resentful, deep-seated anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, that standard of behaviour which he requires from us all. We want righteousness to grow in our lives. Now, my experience of conversations that develop into scenarios where anger is actually expressed are normally triggered by a whole bunch of baggage and dirty laundry that may not be on view, but it's aired in that particular situation. So the history of previous interactions and the hurt that may have de developed from them causes reactions that are over and above what would normally be expected for that particular scenario. Okay, let me lay out one. And you may have this happen in your household. Okay, the dishwasher is full of clean dishes. So, you have, it's got to be emptied. But you've done it ten times. Not my turn. Not my turn. So, I'm saying, I don't want to do this. It's your turn to empty the dishwasher. And then you go into the bedroom and you shut the door in a bit of a huff. And there's clothes all over the floor. And you're thinking, there is a dirty clothes basket just there. Can't they go in the dirty clothes basket? And so a little bit more amps up. And then you get so angry, you go out. And if you've got little children or grandchildren, this is a scenario that is likely to have happened to you is that you're out there in your, maybe just your socks or your bare feet, and bang, you step on a piece of leather. Oh, I reckon that is absolutely designed to just kill your feet. And all of a sudden, it's like that scenario has built up, and, and sometimes it'll happen in just the space of five minutes. Dishwasher, dirty clothes, wake up! And suddenly, it's like arms flapping, yelling and screaming, your slave, I'm over this, I'm the only one who ever does anything around here. Who's guilty? I've I got to put my hand in the air. I'm totally guilty of doing that. I said to you before that I have four sons. Well, that was really interesting growing up with the, well, me growing up with them, them growing up with me. <laughs> four sons, lots of Lego around the place. My kids, they, they remember with great fondness the day I totally lost it. And the only thing that I could grab and throw was a box of tissues. And so I just pulled tissues out, yelling and like this. And they're all sitting there going, she's lost the plot. <laughs> and I had, I had completely lost the plot. Peace. No peace. It just left the building. And that happens so often, you know. And what, is, what happens is that love is bruised from those sorts of situations. Relationship actually... If they're more, if they're bigger things than Lego and dirty clothes, then, you know, the relationships are actually damaged through that. And righteousness, that is way uh, gone. And we've sunk below what God really wants for us. Righteousness, peace. <laughs> and they've left the building. There is no way that we can actually sort of 
you know, manipulate our, that situation to make it come out good for us. We just have failed. We've failed. And the problem is, is that we're actually really good at packaging up all those hurts and those disappointments and those offences. And the next time we go down to that kind of scenario, it only takes five times of, clean, of emptying the dishwasher and then we've lost the plot again. Gotta be righteousness. I just want more righteousness to be expressed through me. It's not that I want it to come to, come to me, I want to express it from me, you know? And this is what these verses encourage. Let's move on. So this is now verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, scrupulously observant of the rituals of his faith, and does not control his tongue, but deludes his own heart, this person's religion is worthless, futile, and barren. Okay, so when James is using these words religion and religious, he's actually talking about worship. Our worship. And worshipping God is not just about our relationship with him, it's about our relationship with each other. So the same tongue that sings praises to him is also the one that can build up or pull down those who are around us. Uh, I want to ask this question. How many times have you sort of jumped in a car on Sunday morning and on the way to the church you've had an argument? No. <laughs> Never. <laughs> See, I look at it as a little bit of righteousness and so sort of out and Oh, look, it happens so many times, you know, and you're trying to bundle those kids into the car or, you know, and somebody's left their shoes on the floor in the hallway or something, you know, and honestly, it, it happens so many times in our family that where we were on the way in the car and there's like all hell breaking loose in the back and we're going to heavenly place, not a hell place. <laughs> it's just a bit crazy until one day we realised what was going on and we thought... No more. <laughs> We've got to stop this. This can't happen anymore. We're going to worship the Lord and we're bringing all this yuck in with us. So we decided to make a change. Probably one of the easiest ways that we did it was that we moved into the manse on the church property so we didn't have to get in the car anymore. <laughs> so that was a really big solution for us. Our kids were like 9, 10, 11, something like that at that stage. The youngest hadn't been born. so. That was an easy way to stop the arguments. <laughs> so, you know, we've we do things that are pretty pretty silly sometimes. And you know, you've heard this verse before, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, and that comes from Luke chapter six, and you think, oh golly, please Lord, is my heart really that dark? I want that sun of righteousness to shine in and, and make it light and beautiful. But you know, even by saying that sort of thing, we're actually on the path towards it because we recognise that we need God so much in our lives. And we just, it makes, helps us to open up a little bit more to His light. So I don't want you to feel depressed or confronted by this because everybody goes through it. But it is a challenge to curb what we say. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the bad things that we say. It can be things that we've actually promised ourselves never to do. A few months ago we had a, had a couple of 
people around for tea, a couple of couples around for tea. And we did something that I thought I would never do. For half an hour, the conversation had been going along, and all we'd been talking about were the things that were wrong with us. Oh, small bag, you know, headaches, all this stuff. And I thought, I never, ever wanted to do that. And yet I had just walked straight into that scenario and participated in it, and I thought, wow, <laughs> I really didn't want to do that. I didn't want that to be my script when I got older and more decrepit, <laughs> that I would actually have to complain to everybody about that. And I thought, oh, come on, let's have a little bit of righteousness here and uplifting things to talk about. So I really, really kicked myself, and now I only do it for 15 minutes. <laughs> Not half an hour. Got to be careful with what you say and the things that you are talking about. And we fail, we do fail. And but God is gracious to us. <laughs> so you know, all these verses that we've been talking about so far, I've been talking about our relationship with one another and how much the things that we say and how important those things are, not only to us, but to God and the people who are hearing us. And he brings this home in the very last verse that I want to speak about. Pure and unblemished religion, as it is expressed in outward acts, in the sight of God and our Father, is this. To visit and look after the fatherless and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself uncontaminated by the secular world. <coughs> so, pure and unblemished religion. True worship of God. Looking after the fatherless and the widows and the orphans. The second part of it says, just don't get sucked in by what the world sees. Selfishly holding on to your own rights and fulfilling your own needs and wants and putting yourself as the highest priority. And being self-serving by the things you say and do. Don't do that. Remain uncontaminated. But my main focus today is on the first part of what true worship is. Looking after the widows and the orphans. And I was struck by the fact that this was put in place in, in James's letter between um, verses that are about what we say to one another and how our relationships with one another are so important. Widows and orphans both lack one very crucial thing that it's they've lost a relationship, either with a spouse or with parents. And the root of the Greek word that James uses for widow is deficiency. And for an orphan, it's bereaved and comfortless. Those things, I found those words really, really powerful. To be a widow is to be deficient. To be an orphan is bereaved and powerless. Both these terms mean that there's been like this separation between in a relationship that's happened because of whatever reason, death, divorce, whatever reason that, is, that those things have occurred. And, um, you know, when you read those verses in the first place, you say, oh, well, you know, we look after the widows and the orphans in our community. But who are they? There's the obvious ones. And we've heard your story today. But there are other widows and orphans in our communities. There are other widows and orphans here, sitting here today. 
lights turned on for me when I was looking at that in relationship with the way that, that, that we actually relate to one another. I've got a couple of stories that I want to illustrate this and how relationships that are broken and severed actually cause each and every one of us to be orphans or widows. When my grandmother was eight years old, there was an incident that happened in her life and she told me about this incident when she was probably in her late 70s and it really obviously affected her that she still remembers something that happened when she was eight years old. She was, um, she was studying ballet as an eight-year-old, how gorgeous they are, and uh, she was given a beautiful parasol, not an umbrella, a parasol for her birthday. And she loved this parasol a lot. It was her favorite and probably only one of probably a couple of presents that she got. And she was, in the lounge room at her house and she had the parasol open and she was dancing like eight-year-old girls do with the parasol and I mean she may have been close to breaking things but her father who was also in the room reacted so badly he grabbed the parasol from her snapped it in half and in the snapping of the parasol relationship broke little eight-year-old girl lost something that she loved so much and delighted in. That moment my grandmother became an orphan. The relationship with her father was never the same again. Out working in her life for many years because when she met my grandfather they actually eloped and got married. They never had the wedding in the presence of their families because there was something that was broken there. In just that one little act, something broke and she became that orphan. Years later, um, well, when, she, when they got married, like for three, three or four weeks, they went back home to their separate houses and didn't tell their families that they were married. Now, grandma would have been about a, a hundred now. So you can imagine back in those days, that was really a huge thing. Eventually they couldn't handle it anymore and they fronted up, but in fear and trepidation and particularly what my grandmother's father was going to say. My grandfather passed away when, when he was in his um, early 60s and my grandmother met one of his very good boyhood friends and they fell in love and at 70 five years old, she was married and was the blushing bride <laughs> before her family and her friends. She was married and that's gorgeous. I don't know, you know, grandma telling me that story was really, I mean, she had tears in her eyes. Whether or not she was ever really healed in that, I don't know. But it was something that made her an orphan, even though her father was still alive, but that relationship had been broken. The other story I want to tell you about something that happened to me. Um, when I was five years old, my family moved to Canada, and um, 
we lived there for the next um, eight or nine years. And we arrived in a town that was um, quite a large town, and I started going to school. And I used to walk with the, the neighbours, um, kids, and so we'd go off to school. And we'd only been there for just like a handful of weeks. And for whatever reason, these kids were staying back at school, and I decided I would walk home by myself. And I got lost. I didn't know where I was five years old. I was completely clueless as to where I was. And I was crying, I can remember that. And um, after wandering around a few streets, and eventually I saw some kids down, down the way a bit, and I said, do you know, and I gave them my friends' names, and they said, yes, yes, we know, we'll, t we'll take you to where they live. And so they took me on the way. But in the meantime, my mother had jumped into the car, and she was driving around the streets trying to find me, because um, she knew that I was late, and she didn't know where I was, and so, anyhow, we eventually met up, and mum stopped the car, and she jumped out, and she grabbed me by the arm and said, what did you think you were doing? And pushed me into the car and slammed the door. Off we drove. And something happened. For me, as a little five-year-old, I was so scared, so frightened of what I was experiencing that all I wanted to happen was for my mum to put her arms around me and say, it's okay, it's okay. You're all right, you're safe now. I forgot really about that story except what the happened in my relationship with my mother. As a five-year-old, I couldn't discern what was happening. But from that time on, it was sort of like this brokenness that had happened in my relationship. And I, I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't have any of the skills that I needed to sort that sort of thing out. But I became an orphan. <laughs> Relationship had broken because of my mother's reaction to me. It wasn't until I was about, I think, 17, I was talking with my other grandmother um, one day, and I just suddenly realised. I was telling her, you know, I just don't, you know, don't get on very well with mum, and and then suddenly this this scenario just came into my mind again and I thought, oh my gosh. You know, and I think that that was actually a really Holy Spirit moment for me because as a 17-year-old, I didn't only understand what had happened to me, but I also understood what happened to mum. She was as petrified as I was because she thought she was losing her little girl. But before that, I couldn't understand that. I just felt the hurt and the loss and the, and the distance that came into my relationship with my mother at that time. And I became that orphan because of that. Now, I would say that both of these stories are quite low-level trauma in both my grandmother's life and my life. It wasn't anything like trauma some people go through when, when relationships are broken. But nevertheless, it was something that happened that really actually influenced us for a good deal of our lives. I'm so grateful to God that mine didn't last as long as what my, my grandmother's did. Something, being a, an orphan or being a widow and our relationship is broken 
is something that almost, I would say, without a doubt, that almost all of us here have experienced that. And maybe not necessarily realised it. I just want to pause. And I want you to close your eyes and think back over your life and your relationships and just ask God to show you maybe a time in your life where you experienced this of becoming an orphan or a widow or maybe you caused it in someone else's life. This is a really difficult thing to come to grips with. So let's just take a few moments. If God is showing you something, either you've been the cause of this happening or you've had this happen to you, today is a day where you can experience healing. See, James doesn't say to go and fix that relationship. He calls on each and every one of us to visit and look after the fatherless and the widows in their distress. There are people here who want to encourage you, who want to support you in the things that you've gone through in your life or you've perhaps even caused in your life. And as you think about those times where you've been hurt, I want you to hear the words that Jesus would say to you in those moments. His words are always thoughtful and carefully chosen to bring life. And take these words into the trauma of your experiences. Because he wants to visit you and look after you in that distress. This is what he says to you. I love you. The real you. After all I made you, you are extraordinarily valuable. I see you. I know about your hopes, your hurts, and your heartaches. I'm here to help. There is grace for you. You will be transformed. Stop worrying. Start trusting. When you talk to me, I listen. Keep going. Get going. Get on the right path and stay there. And by the way, I'm on the path with you. You are never alone. I am always with you. My spirit is in you. The fear you feel isn't for me. Follow me. Love how I love. See how I see. Do what I do. Give how I give. Learn what I know. Live how I need. 
I've forgiven you. That's why I died for you. The world will never, never truly satisfy your soul. The people in your life aren't there by accident. Love them deeply, even the tough ones, especially the tough ones. And lastly, he says to you, be still and know that I am God. I have something to do with one of my sons. As I was preparing this, I thought, well, I've actually done something similar. We were on a family holiday, which was the holiday of a lifetime, and we were able to go to Paris. And we're getting onto the metro, and those trains don't stop for anybody. And two of my sons, my youngest, who was seven at the time, and one of the older ones who was around about 19, they got on the, on the subway, metro, and the rest of us didn't all make it. And Mark, my, one of my sons, the third one that was trying to get on there, he realised that the rest of us weren't going to get on in time, and he came out. But he had a backpack on his back, and the doors closed with him on the outside and his backpack on the middle, instead of the train. And the other two boys are standing there, the seven-year-old and the 20-year-old, or 19, whatever he was, and they're looking at us, and the doors are shut, and Mark's stuck. And I lost it. I am screaming, get out of the train! And people are pushing his bag out through the doors, and the train's moving on, and he's stuck. And, and I just, I stood on that platform, and I said, what did you think you were doing? And, and I think to myself, he was so scared for his life, and he's got this lunatic of a mother yelling at him. I haven't spoken to him about that, except, you know, you know, it comes up in our family history, and as we talk about things, that, crazy things that have happened, but I've never actually said sorry for that. And I think, I need to do that. In fact, I need to do that today. <laughs> I'm seeing him today, because I need to put that right. Because I have no idea what happened in that moment where he was in fear of his life and I just yelled at him. Stupid. <laughs> the things that we say, the things that come out of our mouths are so, can be so bad. My challenge to you today is to look at these verses and just realize that God is opening an opportunity for you to work through some of those issues that you may have in your own life. You may not need to get alongside someone and just ask for prayer and say, I need to work through this in my life. Or maybe you've been the perpetrator of bad things and you just say, God, I am just so sorry. We are called to visit and relieve the orphans and the widows in their distress. We want to encourage everyone around us. Today, you can be encouraged. If you are in this space where you have broken relationships because of things you have said or things that have been said to you, today can be the start of something beautiful. God can do a healing 
that will just completely change your circumstances and the circumstances of those you may have affected. Those people don't even, you don't even have to have access to those people anymore that may have hurt you. My grandmother, her father died years before she would have actually had opportunity to go through a healing process because she came to faith. But there would have been no reason why she could not have had that healing process in her life and resolve a relationship that had been broken for so long. Today is a day where you can start anew. Let me pray with you. Why don't you stand to your feet? Father God, it is so sad that so many people in this world who have broken relationships because of the things that they have said. Lord, and people, I mean, I've confessed to the things that I have done that have been so hurtful. Lord, I think probably everyone in this room is in this space. But Lord, we bring all of that to you. Lord, we bring all the brokenness that we've had happen in our own lives. And we bring all the brokenness that we've maybe caused in other people's lives. Lord, and we just lay it at your feet now in Jesus' name. Lord, do a work that only you can do. Lord, heal broken hearts. Lord, let us just remember always to treat each other well with righteousness, to say things that are uplifting. Lord, and when we do fail, let us be willing to admit that and to just take it to you. Lord, and to know that we have always have a new start, that we can begin. Lord, maybe a little wiser, maybe a little... Um, more willing to say sorry. Lord, let us just bring it to you now. All those beautiful things that you say about us are beautifully represented in communion that we took this morning, that you died for us, Lord, not to leave us bereft, not to leave us widows and orphans, but rather to bring us into a beautiful relationship with you. Lord, let the beauty of that relationship affect all of our relationships now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So it is a challenge. And I pray that you know, over these next days and weeks that you have opportunity to just be with God and to just think through this. God bless you.